Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monoreal Radio, episode number 232. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And we are here this week to discuss Star Wars Rogue One as we celebrate May the 4th. And we have two of our very good friends with us. We have Kelly and Pat. Kelly is of Karma and Kismet. You will remember both of them from our review of Thor Ragnarok. Kelly and Pat, welcome back to Monoreal Radio. Thank you. We're so excited to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us back. All right, let's get right into this. Let me ask you, um, there have been a lot of people who have felt certain ways about uh, the Star Wars universe, especially once Disney got a hold of them. Um, how have you felt about the Star Wars cinematic universe, and were you excited once they announced that a film like Rogue One was coming because a film like The Force Awakens, more people than not enjoyed it, but it still was polarizing. Obviously, the quote-unquote prequel trilogy that came out very much was polarizing. How did you feel when you heard that Rogue One was coming out? Well, I think I'm probably the uh, biggest Star Wars fan here. I don't know. that might, Maybe I shouldn't say that. But I love Star Wars. I became a fan of it when I was four years old and my dad showed me the first movie, um, A New Hope. So I think for me, seeing the continuation of that story where it was so connected to it, um, I loved that. And I think that, you know, spoiler alert, I think that they did an amazing job with Rogue One. Um, but I don't know. I've been really excited with a lot of the content that they put out. I don't think everything has been 100%, but I think, you know, this is the continuation of the story and I love seeing George Lucas's work continue. Yeah, I was I was ready to be disappointed, uh, as I always am with a lot of the, the newer Star Wars projects, but um, I was definitely interested. It's a totally different story uh, than something we've really seen before. Um, and I was just excited to to see, like, what happened before that first trilogy happened. So I was excited. Um, for me, I was pretty neutral when they announced Rogue One. I mean, listeners who have been with us for a long time know that most of my issues with Star Wars stem from the fact that I went to film school with a bunch of people who thought they were going to be the next George Lucas. And it just left such a bad taste in my mouth, I really never sat down to watch it. Like, I did in the sense of, you know they'd put them on TBS or whatever on Thanksgiving and they would play them all day. So I caught bits and pieces of it here and there, but I really didn't get into Star Wars until um, the Rise of Skywalker trilogy. Um, So when this came out, um, you know, I didn't really have a feeling one way or the other, but um, I think this is a really important film for the franchise because this is really what launched all of these standalone films. This was before Solo, which was very polarizing, and before any of the Disney Plus content that came out. And when you think about it, you know, the stakes were pretty high for them to release something like this because if it didn't work and people weren't into a movie outside of a trilogy, like, would we even have Mandalorian today? My answer in short is yes, because Star Wars equals dollar signs, but there is a lot to discuss today in terms of what this film meant to Lucas, what this film meant to Star Wars, what this film meant in terms of Star Wars films produced by Disney, because we we just talked now that 
so many of those films were polarizing. That, on top of many other things, is what we are here to discuss today. This episode is sponsored by Fierce Fox Co., designers of handmade silkscreen shirts. Fierce Fox has a t-shirt, tank top, hoodie, or crew neck for every fandom. So whether it's the movies or theme parks, princesses or villains, the MCU or Star Wars, everyone will find something they love. The designs range from subtle quotes from our favorite films to iconic characters we can wear proudly in so many different styles, such as sketchbook and concert tees. Listeners of Monoreal Radio can get a 20% discount using the code MONOREAL at checkout. Visit FierceFoxDesignCo.com to check out all of the collections. On the planet Lamu, Galen, Urso, a scientist, and his family are flushed out of hiding by the Empire so Galen can finish building the Death Star. He initially refuses, so Imperial forces kill his wife, Lyra, and take him captive while his daughter, Jin Urso, escapes and is rescued by Saw Gerrera of the Rebellion. All right. So we're going to do this as a linear review. For those who have followed Monoreal Radio for a while, on occasion we'll do a linear review. And I I feel like this is the exact reason why on occasion we do linear reviews. So much is going on in this film. Um, but I think that this is a very solid introduction um, when it comes to our characters. Although I, I think that the one thing that stands out more than anything else is that you can really cut the tension with a knife in the first five minutes of this uh, film. I have to ask you longtime Star Wars fans, what was it like to have a film start with no scroll? Ooh, that is such a good question. That was the first thing I noticed, honestly, because it just puts you right in it. It's a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, and that's it. You know what? It didn't stand out to me. So I guess it didn't matter to me. But I do have to say that that is, you know, obviously that's kind of like part of the excitement when you go to a Star Wars movie. So that's interesting. But I, you know, I don't know. That's really interesting. I remember having a reaction in the movie theater that it wasn't on, that there was no scroll. So, yeah, it, it definitely it hit me a little harder than I thought it might. I think it starts off so strong, though. Yeah. That might be why I was like, OK, I'm, I'm still into it. As somebody that was born and raised with Star Wars, you know, my father loved the original Star Wars trilogy. To this day, we'll still play the original uh, Star Wars soundtrack on vinyl. Um, This was something that stood out to me as being unique. Um, I won't say that I was surprised, though, because actually when we saw this film in theaters, and I did see it with my dad, Um, The thing that I think surprised me the most was that the film started with a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. So what I anticipated would happen was that we would have a completely cold open. And to an extent, that's what we do have here. But I think that when you see, um, you know, in a galaxy far, far away, that, that title card that has opened so many incredible star wars films um i think that there's a certain expectation that you set um and i think there's a certain expectation that you assume they're going to meet and even though um this film does not open the same way as a traditional star wars film i think that the um i i'd say that the 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 expectations were certainly exceeded if not um if not at the very least if not met. I agree. Yeah. 
I agree. I mean, I know it is so much the part of Star Wars tradition, but you really didn't necessarily need it here because this is the film that's going to set up everything else that we already know. So I really like the decision to just put you right into the action, especially because uh, Jin's backstory is so strong. I love the setting that they filmed in. I love that they um, had the farmers as a cover story. I like that they establish... Um, such a strong family unit with very, very little time. Um, and at first, one of the things that stood out in this scene was that um, her father says, uh, I just want you to know that everything that I'm doing is to protect you. And the first couple of times I saw this, I took that to mean that like, he knew he was going to die. But I'm wondering, and this might be something that we unpack as we uh, go forward in the film, if he's sort of asking for forgiveness because if he survives this, he knows he's going to have very little control over his own life. Well, I think that the introduction to Mads Mikkelsen is very strong. For me, he will always be the villain in Casino Royale. Um, James Bond. So it's funny that like on this show, we talk so much right about Ghostbusters and uh, Batman. You talk so much about Batman yeah, and Ghostbusters. Uh, here I am speaking French. And uh, Back to the Future, in terms of films that I hold on a pedestal, a lot of people don't know that um, my favorite film franchise as a whole is James Bond. So I look at Mads, Milkels, uh, Mads Mikkelsen as the villain from Casino Royale. Uh, I always will. But I, I love his introduction here. Um, I think that overall, this is a very well-paced introduction. And I think that he's just such a uh, grounded actor that I think that uh, the minute you put him into the lead in any film, he just adds so much strength that even for a film that has a weak plot point, and I don't think that this film does by any stretch of the imagination, but I think that by putting him in, it just gives so much strength to any script um, that you really buy into him immediately. Yeah, I think you see from the start how strong the casting is for this movie. And it's, you know, it's nice that they didn't, like, cut corners, even though this isn't a trilogy where, you know, you know what the ending's going to be when you start watching this movie. So you know you're probably not going to get these characters back. I mean, granted, we did get Andor, which was awesome. Um but it's nice that they didn't kind of cut corners there. And they were, I mean, the casting really is so important to this film. Yeah. And it is interesting where they put the big name actors in that first scene. You have a couple people that you've seen in a lot of different films play both villains and, and heroes in their respective roles. So it was just interesting how, how strong it was. Ben Mendelsohn in the, in his opening scene too, like it was all people that, you know, in a movie that was going to turn to characters who are played by actors and actresses you probably don't know. I think that's one of the things that I like most about this film too, is how conflicted these characters are because we are seeing such recognizable actors, but even Forrest Whitaker, like you kind of don't know which way that's going to go. Even for, uh, but I look at Forrest Whitaker, <laughs> I go, I, all I can think to myself is, you can't fix this car, Spicoli. Uh, <laughs> there are certain characters that, to me at least, in terms of pop culture, right, it's like Mads uh, Mickelson, that I, I'll never, I, I just can't shake them. And Forrest Whitaker being one of them. But you're right, um, Ben 
uh, Mendelssohn. Uh, we're, and we're going to talk about him and we're going to talk about Krennic as um, the film fleshes out. But like, I think one of the, um, I think the biggest success of this film is that for your casual Star Wars fan, maybe somebody that's seen all of the trilogies, but hasn't sat to watch Clone Wars, for example, you know, the me. animated series. What? It's me that you're talking about. <laughs> you, uh, or me, I, admittedly, I have not watched a lot of the animated shows. Yeah, I'm over here like, uh, Saw Gerrera's in Clone Wars, guys. So. Yeah. <laughs> are up. Um, and, and I grew up similar to you, Kelly. I grew up on, on this franchise. Um, uh, I, I did not know that so many of them were in the animated series. They, they make all of these characters so approachable. And, and part of that is the screenwriting, part of that is direction, but part of that for sure is also the acting. All right, we're going to fast forward 15 years. Uh, Cassian Andor learns that kyber crystals are being used uh, as they are collected to develop a planet killer. On Jeddah, a pilot who has defected from the Empire is captured, um, and he is hiding a uh, holographic message from Galen to Guerrera. Saw Guerrera, right? We talked about him just now. Um, meanwhile, Jin is rescued from an Imperial labor camp and brought to the Rebellion headquarters. There she meets Andor, who demands that she gets them to Guerrera, who is now a re uh, Rebellion extremist fighting on his own they also tell her that they are trying to find her father however their plan ultimately is to kill him um a lot starts happening fast in terms of the pacing of the film but i think that it's all very necessary i'm gonna go ahead and i'm gonna say this now for those who are gonna stick with us for the next hour and a half to almost two hours god help us all that we're gonna be <laughs> discussing this movie this is a film that as you flesh it out on paper like, there's no good way to say it. This movie is is exciting to talk about, but at the same time, it's extraordinarily aggravating to talk about. Because on paper, it's a very confusing plot. There's a, an awful lot that's going on. But uh, as you watch the film, you know, you sit, you make your popcorn, you crack a beer, whatever. The, the movie is, it, it's, it's fleshed out so well. The pacing is so incredible that it's almost uh, unbelievable that a movie that is going to lay out the way that we're going to discuss it, uh, it, it's incredible that, that it is so uh, approachable. Because after we sat and watched it and I took my notes, I went, my God, this movie is horrible. But, it, it, but it's not. It's one of the best Star Wars movies they've ever made. But on paper, it is just so confusing. Um... I would agree with that um, because there is just so much going on. And like I mentioned before, a lot of it is because these characters do feel very conflicted, which is kind of how I felt with the introduction of Cassian Andor. Um, I think he's got a very, very strong intro um, because, you know, he's ducking around back alleys and, um, you know, he he gets this piece of information Um and then he shoots the guy that gave it to him. So for as much as I was getting like Han Solo vibes from him at first. Han shot first and there's no denying that Han <laughs> shot first. Just like there's no denying here that Andor shot first. Well, no, that is not why I was getting Han vibes from him. To me, it was more about 
uh, he just did something horrible, but he still seems like one of the good guys. And I was very excited that that was the jumping off point. Like, I just couldn't wait to see where he was going to go. I thought you were going to say it's because he's super attractive. Well, but... also that. I mean, <laughs> okay, of course, right. with that saying, Diego Luna, my God. I mean, even I, even I have man crush on Diego Luna. I think we all can appreciate Diego Luna. I mean, maybe I speak... No, I'm going to speak for everyone here. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to argue with that. Oh, I also, thought we were going to ask Sean and Pat to step out, and you and I could just take the rest of the film. We're changing this. <laughs> I didn't ask for him to be taken out of the movie, so I don't know. His accent aside. Uh, also, can we all agree, well, did Han shoot first? We've never yes. answered this. Did Han, yes. Okay, Kelly, of course. Yes, yes. Jackie. I'm not going to go against Han you guys. Han shot first. I have a shirt that says it, Han shot first. Um, yeah, Diego Luna, so good. Like, obviously... Other than, joking aside, he, he's just, he's so incredible in his introduction. I mean, he can carry this movie on his own, right? Like, the 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 whole uh, notion that he just carries this scene is pretty incredible. I mean, this is a character that we're getting introduced to for a, the casual Star Wars fan, right? We're getting introduced to him for the first time, Cassian Andor. Um, but he's incredibly uh, relatable, and, and and he's somebody that I think totally fits the Star Wars universe. Like, we have the MCU, so, I mean, what do we call it? The SWU? Like, what do we call the Star Wars universe? Like, I mean, he, he just seems like a character that's been plucked out of this universe, and even though we've only had him for a few minutes of screen time, it feels like somebody that we have known this entire time. Yeah, I think he was just, I mean, again, I go back to the casting, of course. I, I think that he was great for it, but I think they said it so well. It was, it, so much of this movie makes you think of the first trilogy, and mm-hmm. I think that's what they do so well in here is that it's really, you know, you're paying homage to it, but it's also something new. It's moving the story along. And you, along. So you see him, and he's, like, super gritty, but he's also super smart. You know, he's going to do whatever he has to do for the rebellion, and you see that in that first, you know, what, five minutes of him on screen. Well, and that and that is all true, and I agree completely. He's He's amazing, but he's a little too grizzled to be there on his own. So what do they do? They give him K2SO, which he's just hysterical, and he just adds a lot to it. He humanizes the story a little bit with some of his jokes, where I feel like they've tried to do that in other, with other characters, and it didn't work so well. But K2SO is like the perfect level of comic relief for his character. Did anybody else get Drax? Yes. K2SO <laughs> the minute we met him. I was just going to say that because the remarkable thing was that they were able to pull it off without making him feel like a complete copy of C-3PO. And He is nothing like C-3PO. Oh, How God. dare Jack, you? Started. C-3PO. <laughs> s- s- small side rant. C-3PO is a terrible character. So, yeah. That's how I feel. This will be a separate podcast about <laughs> Pat's hate for C-3PO. But. <laughs> but with all that being said, too, I feel like Drax is the easy comparison because he's so literal. But at the same time, I didn't feel like I was watching robot Drax either. There there was enough to differentiate the two. Um, but I love how he serves as comic relief throughout yeah. the rest of this film. I also think that uh, one of the triumphs of this uh, scene and, and this introduction is that you, you literally do not know who to trust. Right? Like, you don't know whether... Uh, K2 is going to turn on them. You don't know if 
if Andor is going to turn on Jin Erso, like there, there's the, the the screenwriting, the acting, everything here works so well in keeping you on the edge of your seat. Speaking of screenwriting, uh, before we move to the next scene, there is a line that I want to highlight. Um, when Jin is asked about her father, she says, "I like to think that he's dead," and. There are so many layers between the line itself and her delivery. Are, are you hoping that for his protection? Do you hate him? You know, we, we don't really know what happened over these past 15 years. So I just, I love that line. I love the delivery. And I love how that gets explored, you know, through the rest of the film. Yeah, Felicity Jones plays Jin Erso. And we'll talk about the character more in a few moments. But I think that... This is one of the uh, first instances where you really get to meet this character. And you're right, you know, she starts to question who's on her side, who's not. We know that she's in, you know, the labor camp. She's she's trying to break out. We obviously know that she is uh, Galen's daughter and, and that we have a passage of time. But I think that she is very similar to the way that they introduced Rey, right, in in The Force Awakens. I think that she is a character that is well fleshed out with very little dialogue. She's a character that's well fleshed out with very little backstory, but she is a character that's incredibly relatable. I think that ultimately, I think one of the very, uh, well, I think one of the hallmarks of Star Wars is that a lot of these characters are very relatable characters. I, I don't think that they take a lot of uh, dialogue. I don't think they take a lot of backstory for you to feel like you can relate to a Leia, a Rey, a Han Solo, a Luke, right? In this case, a, a Jyn Erso. Um, I, and I think that she has just, from the moment she takes the screen, much like Diego Luna, and for maybe for the ladies, for different reasons. Uh, I, I, I think that she takes control of her scenes. I think she takes control of the film. And I think that she's an ex excellent... And, and from the moment, from the first time I saw this film, I thought this is a person, and I thought the same thing about Daisy Ridley, this is somebody that belongs in the Star Wars universe. Yeah, much like Andor 2, she's somebody that you feel like you've known in this universe for a really long time. I think that's a great point. It's, you know, it's you've grown up with these movies or it's the first time you're seeing it, whatever it may be. They look like they make sense. It's not like it's an actor that was thrown into, you know, a spinoff that just kind of they're just trying to make money grab. And yeah, we all know, obviously. But I think that you're right. She fits so well into the universe. And that's a lot to do with, of course, the casting, but then also her ability to kind of continue that role on. Yeah, I think it's a lesson they learned in Phantom Menace when they really tried to overintroduce Anakin and it just didn't work. So I'm glad that they've learned from some of the mistakes that I feel they've made and course corrected. It wasn't Hayden's fault. <laughs> it wasn't. It, well, that wasn't Hayden. Hayden wasn't the little kid. Oh, uh, that's true. That's true. You're right. It's also pretty. Come on, Dad. I want a <laughs> Turbo Man. <laughs> oh, come on. We all thought the same thing. <laughs> it's true. I also think it's it's pretty remarkable how they're striking this balance of making we feel making us feel like we've known these characters for a while because you kind of have to. You have to care about them because otherwise you're not going to care about their sacrifice at the end. Um, and I think that's one of the big successes of this film. For sure. Uh, captured pilot Bodhi Rook is taken to Guerrera, 
who gives him the message from Urso. However, untrusting Guerrera tortures him to see if he has any more information. The Imperial Senate, meanwhile, starts to lose faith in Orson Krennic, who seems to be losing control over the Death Star project. Jin, Andor, and K2SO head to Jeddah, where they observe the kyber crystals being mined and identify it as fuel for the Death Star. As Jin and Andor try to make their way to Guerrera, Jin meets uh, Shirut Imwe, who Andor casts aside as a troublemaker. A firefight breaks out between the rebels and the Imperial forces, and Jim and Andor are captured, but are quickly rescued by Shirut, who claims to be one with the Force, and the Force is one with him. We also meet Baze Malbes. They all are captured um, by Jim as she exposes herself as Galen's daughter and asks to see Guerrera. There is so much happening if I have any issue with this movie. And this is the one note that I have. It's that for a movie that has an hour, you know, a running time of two hours and 20 minutes, it seems like they're trying to force too much to happen right now. There, there's a lot that they're trying to force in quickly, and I'm, I, I'm going to spoil a little bit of my review. The final battle at the end of this scene, or at the end of this film, I should say, that, that entire scene drags out a little too much. I think that the the drama is fantastic, but I think if they were trying to have a film that had a running time under two and a half hours, but closer to that two hours and 20 minutes, I feel like they could have shed a little time off of there, maybe took a little time and built it into here, because otherwise I think that there's just way too much happening way too quickly here. I could not disagree with you more. I think the pacing of this film is incredible, and I love that there has to be a lot going on, because at the root of this, and I don't want to spoil too much of my review, but what I like so much about it is that Star Wars always feels very sci-fi to me this feels more like a heist and a war movie than anything else and i think here in in these couple of scenes is where you really start to get that um what really stands out for as many times as we've seen the death star this reveal is so striking i don't know why it just hits me every single time and i i love the idea of harvesting the the kyber crystals i think this is a really strong launch yeah, I think, too, what I love about this scene is it introduces something that is so directly connected to George Lucas. So the Guardian of the Wills, which is what Bees and I'm going to say his name wrong, but uh, Sherrod? Sherrod? Sherrod. Yeah. Sherrod. I don't know. He's amazing. Whatever. Yeah. Um, but so the Guardian of the Wills, that actually comes back to like an original um, idea that George Lucas had that's what who the force was actually supposed to be so basically when they first created a new hope it was going to be that the guardian of the wills was going to be this like voiceover that was telling the story and that's where the force was coming from so I love that they kind of bring that back in but they elevate this whole idea so it's like you know it's just it's such a nice callback to the original film and again I think that's what 
this movie does so well is it you know it continues to move the story along but it still has these callbacks that are so great and that's why kelly and pat are here i had <laughs> no idea about any yeah and i i liked that there there's i think you're right sean there was a lot going on but i like that for rewatchability because there's stuff like for some reason the first couple times i watched this i totally missed the whole kyber crystal conversation so going back and watching it again saying oh that, that, that star is actually powered by kyber crystals I didn't realize that. So there was definitely a lot to unpack, but I feel like there was just so much information they needed to give you so quickly that it made it kind of a dense scene, but I think it worked really well. The only thing that I have an issue with is, you know, as as Star Wars fans, you know, hearing the term Kyber Crystal, you understand what that means for yeah. Star Wars. The problem that I have with this with this entire thing is that if you're not a Star Wars fan, and let's call it what it is, you are now, when Rogue One came out, mind you, this is before Solo came out, it's before all three of the trilogy films, the, you know, quite a, the quote-unquote Rise of Skywalker trilogy films, before all of them came out, before we had Mando, right? Like, I think even before Galaxy's Edge opened up, you know, and you're spending $200 to get a kyber crystal to build that thing that I have hanging on my wall right now. Um, a lot of people did not know what a kyber crystal was. A lot of people did not know what a lot of the juice of Star Wars was. Right. I think that if there's any issue that I have with this movie, it's that um, they assumed, the filmmakers assumed that the the vast majority of the audience understood what was going on in Star Wars. And that's coming from somebody that has not, for one iota of a second, spent any time watching any of the Star Wars animated film. Uh, any uh, Star Wars animated films or animated television shows. And see, the first thing I thought was marketing. I, I don't think it has anything to do with Star Wars history or expecting the audience to know anything. I think that they were so focused on kyber crystals because it's exactly what you said. When I hear that word, I think of the $200 souvenir that you got. And I think this is subliminal market, or not even subliminal. I think it's very overt. Oh, it's, it's there. Hello. I'm looking at it right now. It's in the studio. Yeah, I actually was going to bring that up because I was going to ask you, Jackie, if you knew what a kyber crystal was going into this. And like, you know, they also do these kind of in the first scene, you know, you see that Jin has the stormtrooper doll and they show like the blue milk and everything, which, you know, if you're that's great for like setting the scene that, OK, this is a Star Wars movie. But for anyone else that like is coming in, this is like their first introduction or whatever. Does that make sense? In 2016, when we because we did see this in theaters, um, it went right over my head. Now that there is a lightsaber hanging in the studio, no, I know exactly what a kyber crystal is. Yeah, but I think that's what worked about a lot of it is that you didn't need to know all of the details about Star Wars for the story to work. As you're saying, there's blue milk in the background. It's just a blue drink. You'd have no idea. But even the, the kyber crystal, I didn't catch it the first time or the first two times I watched it somehow. And I still didn't have an issue with the story. So I don't think that those were things that you needed to understand to get the story. And it just makes it even better if you do know those details. I agree, because once I really understood it, 
I also put the two and two together that I was like, oh, that's so interesting that they're using it to power the Death Star, but that's also what does power the lightsabers. So it, it's a cool detail if you know, but it didn't completely collapse the story not knowing. Um, we're talking about there's so much going on in these scenes, but I think it's also balanced uh, by some more really great dialogue, which is not something I say often about Star Wars films either. Um, but here, you know, as we're still trying to feel out these characters and figure out who we can trust, who we can't, um, and, you know, and which side they're going to be on. And you, you definitely get the impression at this point, everybody is still in for their own interests at this point. Um, easy dog. Easy, easy. Uh, Gotta love that central Florida weather. <laughs> um, but Cassian points out to Jin that rebellions are built on hope. And I, I think that's such an important line because that is a through line that carries through the rest of this film because they're going to call back to it several times. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you're a Star Wars fan, by the time you get to the end of this film, you obviously see the tie-in to A New Hope and it it, it just it, like nails you like right in your core for, you know, fanboys especially, right? Like it just, it hits you right in the chest. And, and that's one of the great successes of this movie. Um, I, I also think that the grittiness of what we're seeing up to this point is spectacular. It's a, it's a grittiness that we saw in the original trilogy. It's a grittiness that we got away from in the 90s when it came to the new trilogy. It's a grittiness that we got at least in The Force Awakens. Um, I think that Donnie Yen is spectacular i think that uh jang wen is very good as well and forrest whitaker becomes so unhinged you know as we start to talk about some of these characters here um i think that um the the world building and the character introduction again i've not sat and watched and and to this like uh, like when we sat and saw this in theaters and, and to this day i've not watched any of the Star Wars animated television shows. My understanding is that most, if not all, of them have come from those shows. Uh, I know exactly who these characters are with no introduction to them prior to this film. And I think that that's a great, great triumph of this movie. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think that's, you know, again, the strength with Star Wars is you can know these characters and it's awesome to kind of, you know, you see like young Saul Guerrero in Clone Wars and then you see what, how, you know, who he's become. Um, and it's, it's cool to see that from someone who loves the Clone Wars. But I think too, you know, you don't have to watch those to still appreciate that this is a great movie. Yeah. And it's nice that if you, you know, you do really love this movie, there is something else you can watch to learn more. Uh, I feel like that's, not always the case with other properties that tie in things that may not be happening in movies. So um, it's nice that you have something to go back and like learn more on. Awesome. All right. Uh, let's continue on here. Jin and uh, Guerrera are reunited and we see that Jin believes that he abandoned her, but he says that he protected her as people were trying to take her hostage as leverage against her father. Guerrera feels that this reunion is a trap and shows Jin the message from her father telling them how to destroy oh my god the, the, oh, 
just I, I know that I'm interrupting, but just just you interrupted the, yourself. Oh, so I don't fine. even care. <laughs> just the introduction, the the like the feeling of my my heart fluttered when this scene started. Um, the the uh the, the the intentional flaw that he left in the system to destroy the Death Star as his revenge against what the Empire has put him through. He directs them to Scarif uh, to get to the uh, the schematics for the Death Star. Um, however, uh, the Death Star destroys Jetta City um, before they can make their escape uh, in, uh, entirely. So Jin, Andor, K2SO, Rook, Cherut, and Baze escape before Guerrera is killed. He, he sits back and kind of waits for his uh, ultimate demise. Everything about this scene is just incredible. I love that Guerrera calls Jin out. That that he puts kind of puts her on the carpet um, from a, from a person that was raised, you know, uh, on the original Star Wars trilogy. You know, my dad showed me the original Star Wars trilogy. In fact, before I saw this with with Jackie, I saw this with my father. Uh, we went to the movies together and saw this. He absolutely loved it because to him, more than more than maybe The Force Awakens. He really enjoyed that because I saw that with him as well. Um, th this was the film that probably struck the biggest chord with him. My father's a tremendous Star Wars fan. Um, like, everything about what you see here and the way that they tie it back to the to the original film when, when, when Galen starts talking about, I have this fault. I literally grabbed my father by the wrist and he grabbed the top of my hand. Like, it was this wonderful father-son moment that I just wish I could bottle forever. That You know, because he, he raised me on this. Like, we knew exactly uh, what this was leading to, and this is the beauty that is Star Wars. To me, this is where prequels are worth doing. When you can find a piece of the story that everybody knows and build into it and build on it instead of, you know shoehorning something that doesn't necessarily make everything that you already know make sense you know you don't you don't want to collapse anything that's already been established so to me this was just the perfect in as far as doing this as a prequel um and i just i absolutely love this scene i think felicity jones and forrest whitaker just absolutely crush it against each other um, and again, more, I can't believe I'm saying this. There's more great dialogue when, you know, he's kind of asking her where she stands and, and he says, can you stand to see the Imperial flag fly? And then she goes, I won't look up. Like that tells us so much about her character. I, I love it. I love that line. I just love everything about that scene. Yeah, there is. I mean, as a diehard Star, as Star Wars fan, like we don't watch it for the dialogue. Come on. But like, <laughs> I think that's also why this movie sets itself apart from other movies. And I don't want to, you know, continue to kind of compare them, but it's hard not to. But it is. I mean, there's so many good lines in this movie that like just do stand out. And I think, again, I go back to the casting. I think that they do an incredible job at, you know, sharing those lines of course but i think you, you you know you have these two characters that are so conflicted and this is this you know this momentous occasion that brings them together and they kind of have to work through like what how many years of just all these feelings and they do it so well in that you know what three minute time frame right because it's not just 
his relationship with his with her father it's mm-hmm. also that he abandoned her exactly he helped raise her and then he left her yeah and you're kind of like oh my god why would he do that but then when he explains it you understand and you're sitting here and you're like you start to i think you connect so much with Jin in that moment not you know you're just like oh my god i feel for this girl like she has really had to just do it on her own this whole time and you understand why she has the skills that she does and just why her character is the way that she is I think that's also sort of why it feels like when he decides to remain on Jetta, it sort of feels like he's going down with the ship because yes. of what he did to her. Yeah. I also love his little mask, his little homage to Darth Vader that he's breathing yes. through the mask too. But I want to go back to the, the plans. Um, for me, that clo- like that closes something that was probably the biggest plot hole of the original trilogy is why it's so easy to destroy this thing. And now we have an answer for that, which I thought was really cool. And we also get some sort of sense of where we fit in the timeline during this to know that the Death Star is being created. Really, before this, you have no idea when this takes place. So just getting some timing was another good plot device they gave us. It's incredibly chilling, right? To see the Death Star for the first time. And, and, and when we see the Death Star in A New Hope, we just see that it is a planet killer, right? So n- nothing against the first film. We just see that it blows a planet up. To, to see the actual damage that it inflicts, to see that it, uh, it affects, it's like watching the atomic bomb, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it, how would you feel about the atomic bomb if you saw how it affected some, you know, school kid in Hiroshima, right? Like, that's, that's the moment. That's what you get when you see the Death Star for the first time. It's chilling, but in all of the right ways. It's absolutely incredible. Well, I think that's where this prequel is so effective because when you get to the original trilogy, its reputation precedes it. We've heard what it can do. We'll see what it can do, but now we're showing us how it, it it's showing us how it built that reputation and i think that that's what uh just makes this so strong i i never i and i never thought you know watching watching the original trilogy as a kid you just know what the death star can do watching it blow up as stupid as it sounds blowing up a planet i thought nothing of it like when i was 10 years old i thought nothing ah, it just blows up a planet you know but watching the aftermath and what it means now it, it has a totally different meaning. Like, this is where I think they do a really good job in this particular prequel of showing you the mass destruction and, and, and showing you just how evil the Empire is because Star Wars, you know, for what it is, and I talked about it earlier, it's good versus evil, right? And it's 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 approachable enough where it's good versus it. Like, no, this is like worse than evil. Like, seeing exactly what this thing does is worse than just regular evil. That's exactly what I'm saying, though, because when you first sit down to see that original trilogy, like you, and, and I mean, maybe it's just for me because I wasn't sat down and made to watch them, but I knew the characters enough. You just know Darth Vader bad, and. You have that built up in your head. It's entirely a different thing to see it play out and see why he is the bad guy. Yeah, well, I mean, Alderaan gets blown up within, what, is first 15 minutes of the movie? If it's even that much. Yeah, right? So, like, you're not connected to these characters. And then as you continue to watch these films, I mean, you know, Organa is in how many of these films and like doesn't age by the well, by the way, but um, he, you know, you connect them. And then I think you're on Jeddah 
like you're made to feel like you're part of this culture and then you're there when it blows up like it is just it's such a different experience than when you watch it in a new hope and that's nothing against that movie yeah well they obviously didn't have the technology to make what it looked like when this planet blew up too because it was like it was chilling it goes back to what you were saying sean it was chilling to watch like that that's something that they can just do with the flip of a switch and this whole planet is just gone and it was really cool to see it like take time for when they initially did it for the explosion to get to them i think that was really cool to watch let me let me ask you a question um because we we kind of touched on it earlier and i i I am interested in the perspective of females that are watching star wars jackie you're new to at at least at the time of this release was new to star wars uh kelly you you were uh raised on the original trilogy and and um and you both saw uh, what happened in in this new trilogy that Disney put out? Uh, in retrospect, are you team in terms of influences? In in terms of strong female leads, uh, are you team Ray or are you team Jin Urso? I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Jackie first. Oh, but why do I have to pick between the two of that? Because to me, and again, I think it has to do with when I got into it. I am more. Ray and Jin than I than I ever was Leia. I feel way more connected to the two of them than I do Leia, which I know is like sacrilege. I'm sorry. <laughs> so I'll always go Leia just because, you know, I grew up as like a strong like my, my parents were, you know, super feminist. So like we loved Leia in our household. But um so I will always go Leia. But I think between the two and I literally said it to Pat this last time that we watched it, I think that they did such a better job at explaining the motivations of Jin than the motivations of Rey. So, you know, I like Rey. I think that she's a good character, but I think that Jin is a great character where you understand, like, why she's putting her life on the line and why she's doing this throughout the entire film. Whereas Rey, it's a little bit more like... She's very okay. underdeveloped, yeah, Rey's character. Yeah, she's a little bit more underdeveloped. Yeah, isn't it amazing that in three films, and I love Rey and mm-hmm. I love Daisy Ridley, isn't it amazing how much more fleshed out Jin Urso is in two hours of screen time than Ray was over three films. Yeah. It's incredible, isn't it? Yeah. She she's just such a better fleshed out character, um, and and I hope that as we see Ray get, you know, I'm hoping that as we see a fourth film with Ray, and if you believe what, well, I can't believe what Daisy Ridley said because she said she was three and done. We obviously know. That that's not true. She's at least four. She's probably closer to six. But I'm hoping that we see more of that character uh, character get fleshed out because I think Ray is Ray is is such an empowering figure. But they do so much more in so little screen time with Jyn Erso. Um, I, I think it's one of the great triumphs of Star Wars. I also feel like I like Ray because of Kylo. Whereas I like Jin on her own. I don't need Andor to like Jin. So I guess to answer your original question, if forced to pick, I'm team Jin. Yeah, I do have to say, though, because I'm thinking about it as well. Like, you know, the whole background of Rey is that she doesn't know where she came from. So I guess maybe I need to, like, give her a break there. Um, Whereas, like, you know, Jin knows where she came from and everything. So I, but I just think it's like... I, Jin's a cool character. I, but know? I feel like the difference isn't Ray doesn't know where she comes from. I think it's that the writers didn't know where Ray came from, and that 
came across very much where Jin has such a well-defined story that they know how they know where it was going to end when they were writing her. So uh, it was really easy to just build a character that just makes sense and doesn't have to have any ambiguity to it. One of the other things I also want to mention mention before we move on is how they wove in. You know, we were talking about how horrible it is to see the Death Star blowing up planets. They still weave in the story of they don't know if it's going to work exactly and if they're going to be able to do it again. Uh, so I, I just love that element that there's conflict there, too, even on the dark side. For sure. All right, let's move on here. Despite... The Death Star's success, because as you mentioned, they weren't sure if it would work, but of course we know that it does work. Um, Grand Moff Tarkin takes control over Krennic, leaving Krennic infuriated. The Rebellion sets off to kill uh, Galen Erso, while Jin and Andor set off to rescue him. They go to Edu, where they believe that Galen is being held. They track him down, however... Alliance forces launch an attack on the Imperial forces, and he is killed. Jin, Andor, K2, Rook, Chirrut, and Baze escape Edu and press on in their mission to destroy the the, uh, the Death Star. Um, now, again, I, I kind of mentioned earlier, this is sort of a nightmare of a film to discuss on paper. So if it seems like I'm uh, if it seems like I'm jumping around, I apologize. But there there's just so much that happens um, in this very to me it's it, on paper it's a very uh, uh, small period of time on screen. It, it plays off a little bit longer. Again, I I feel like there's an opportunity perhaps to tighten up uh, the pacing a little bit. But I think one of the uh, great triumphs here is that you see Krennic become unhinged. Uh, uh, Krennic is obviously for what he stands for, for the extremism that he stands for. That that is the Death Star. You you obviously know that this is not this is there's no way that this is a sane human being, right? It's just not possible. But but um, they they flesh him out in such a way here that he becomes so unhinged. That he becomes so enraptured in the idea of of, of this Death Star, um, it, it's one of the the, the, the most chilling, uh, maybe ten minutes of screen time that you get in Star Wars, um, and I think that he becomes one of the most um, underappreciated because when we think about villains in Star Wars, we think about Vader, but Vader's in a class. Of, of his own, right? Um, and, and obviously, uh, once Disney got their hands on on Lucasfilm and they and they did the the more modern trilogy, we got a lot with Kylo Ren. And, and Ky I think Kylo's good, not great, but I think Kylo's good. Um, I, I think that this is a character that becomes so underappreciated and so under or overlooked, I should say. Um, this, this is, I think, um, a place where perhaps they could have done, uh, a more with the character as, as the, um, as the films flesh themselves out. Uh, and I think that they certainly did a lot with him here. I, I wish, and I hope 
that as Star Wars does more with Disney Plus, that this is maybe a character that we see a little bit more of because I, he's just so good. He's so unhinged and he's so evil. He he is exactly what you want in a villain. It's great for the B story because he's very much power hungry, and that works while Darth Vader is still on ice. But I like that they bring they're eventually going to bring that to a head too. Yeah, I like I I agree. I would love to see him come back, and I think it's. You know, again, just great actor. I mean, it's a, it, it's, it, I, and I said this when we were watching it this time. There's so many of these characters where I'm like, oh God, I just wish that, you know, we know they're not going to be back for a whole nother movie. I mean, unless they do a spinoff, whatever it may be. But like, there's just such great stories in this movie that they could take and move on to a Disney Plus show or something like that. Yeah, I mean, Ben, Ben Mendelsohn was, was fantastic. And the way he delivered a lot of his, not great dialogue ended up like landing really well so he was he was really cool and you did see a lot of how evil he was when he you know he executed the engineers even though uh galen said it was him uh just kind of shows you what kind of person you're dealing with so i mean uh, you're right his dialogue at time is at times is weak uh i i don't think obviously you don't blame him for it is this a character that we think we could see more of on Disney Plus. I, I certainly think so and I certainly hope so. I think so. I mean I think he's one of the characters from the Empire that you do see more of like the struggle in him, whereas I think like for a Tarkin or, you know, of course Darth Vader is that's a completely different discussion, but you know, they they're always just there's they're bad. There's no time where you're seeing them struggle. It's just like, all right, I'm gonna kill somebody. That's it. Yeah, I mean I, I hope that he rears his head somewhere in Andor because it's around the same timeline. It would make sense. Um, yeah. Ben Mendelsohn is, is in pretty tight with Disney too. He's in now Star Wars and, and Marvel. So he's someone they like. So I could see them doing something with him. All right. I also think that uh, killing off Galen Urso, it was so necessary, right? Like it's, it's a very sad scene when he is eventually bumped off. Um, you feel bad for him because ultimately you know that he's in a scenario that he does not want to be and he's been forced to work on the Death Star in spite of the fact that he does not want to. Um, you know what he means to our, you know, our heroine in the film, right? You know, she does not uh, have the uh, warm and fuzzy relationship with him that we all know that he wish... He wishes that she had, right? So when he's when he's killed off, it's very sad. But I think that it's ultimately necessary for the story that they're trying to tell here because it not only adds drama because he's a sympathetic character because we know what's going on, you know, behind closed doors. But also I think that it, it makes it a very sympathetic storyline because although her stance on him has softened as she has been fleshed out of as a character we as the audience have seen the whole time that he has not always had this ill intent the whole thing is just so well done the fact that she doesn't even know if he's dead or alive up until this point and then they get them together just long enough for her to get closure uh but there's no you know there's no big speech there's no apologies it's just that he gives her the information that she needs to know and and that's it it's pretty cut and dry it's quick in and out uh but it's heartbreaking yeah i mean i think this is so necessary for 
what's to come next because you need to understand why this group of people that really have no connection to each other are going to now go to Scarif together. So you see like, okay, Cassian changes his mind. He's not going to actually kill Galen. He makes that decision. Then you understand what is the motivation for Jin. I mean, before, yes, you, you know, she's starting to make that movement with Saw Gerrera when she hears, um, you know, what the message is from Galen. But seeing Galen, I think, makes that next step for her. And then having Chirrut and Baze come out and, you know, after them and, you you know, K2SO, he's he's always there. Um but you start to see that there's this connection that's really growing between them where like, you know, they're this ragtag team that's going to come together. Yeah. And I think Galen, Galen's death happened in a way that was almost like almost a sympathetic death because you know that had he made it off that platform that he would have gotten tortured a lot and potentially ended the whole, you know, what ends up happening in, in A New Hope because had he gotten that information out of Galen, then it would have just stopped there. So he kind of needed to die and he needed to die not at the hands of the empire. I think that's also part of the heartbreak as far as Jin goes, because she almost has to root for him to die because she knows that he's not going to have much of a life if he does get through this. Um, to piggyback on what Kelly was saying too, about now we are really putting this group together. That's going to fight with each other and for each other. Uh, we kind of skipped over Bodhi, and I, I don't want to because I really like him as a character. Yeah, I think having him as a character that is a defector of the Imperial forces, one of the, again, one of the real uh, victories here is that, and it's a, it's a fantastic throwaway line by Forrest Whitaker as they are, uh, as they are, interrogating him and they have him uh you know brought upon by the and again you know i i will admit that i can't remember the name of the character or the name of the creature but as they uh bow gullet yes (laughs) you can't fix the scar spicoli um when, when they have him uh you know uh approached by this creature they say you know part of the side effect is that you go insane so uh, you don't know who again it goes back to what i said earlier you don't know who you can trust so you don't know if what you're hearing from him is true or whether what you're hearing from him is him having lost his mind everything about the whole setup here uh low-key spectacular I was just going to say, I mean, how cool would it be to to see like a Disney Plus show about Galen? Because he somehow convinces Bodhi to defect and bring this message when he has no idea what's going to happen to his life. Because Saw Gerrera is insane from like what all these, you know, people in the rebellion are saying. Like they don't trust him. Like Mon Mothma is standing there basically saying like he is way too extreme for us. So like he's convinced enough to put his life on the line. So I just feel like seeing that story of Galen would be so cool. And he also goes to bat for Galen because when he realizes what he when he realizes what Andor is about to do, he's the only one that is trying to stop him. That's a great point. Moving on. So Darth Vader summons for Krennic and demands explanation for the use of the Death Star. Krennic asks for an audience with the Emperor. Um, however, Vader uh, he force chokes him and demands that Krennic 
confirm that Galen hasn't compromised the Death Star. At Rebellion headquarters, Jin asks that the Rebellion fleet be sent to Scarif to obtain the Death Star schematics. The Rebellion Alliance Council does not believe that they can risk their troops, so a small group of volunteers offer to help Jin, including Andor, and they steal an Imperial ship and head to Scarif. Meanwhile, uh, Bail Organa says that he will reach out to, quote-unquote, the Jedi, meaning one, for help. Um, I was surprised when, when I saw this film for the first time. I was surprised to see Vader. I did not think that we were going to see many callbacks to the original film and if i if if we did i thought it was going to be easter eggs i didn't think i'd see vader and i did not think that would that we would see james earl jones back in the role that was going to be my big question is did we need to see him yep because the answer is yes i feel yes. like with R2-D2, and I'm sorry, Pat, C-3PO, that's a given. They're going to make their cameo in every single film, and that's kind of the running gag, right? But for Vader, it's like, obviously he's part of the original trilogy. They gave him his own prequel trilogy, so we knew the backstory. I kind of think that we don't need him here. I kind of like that we're building this scary reputation for the Death Star. I don't think that we needed to see him to build that. Do you think that the last scene would have had as much, um, like, would have had the same feeling of him walking in if that was the first time you saw him in Rogue One? I did consider that because really it was it was about the force choke where I was like, oh, come on, we didn't need this. In the, like, let it be its own movie. Um and then I was like, well, the last scene is kind of pivotal because we are now bridging it. But I feel like because we know what happens, you don't necessarily need to. Like, I, I almost wish they would have done the Jaws thing and let us be scared of what we can't see in this case. I I liked that it was there because you've seen in the prequel in the prequel movies or not the prequel movies uh, the original trilogy of movies how afraid the other generals are of darth vader and uh so having him get choked out there and i believe the other guy what's the other general the older tarkin tarkin is there so like you see him in the in the original series kind of get afraid when people start speaking back against vader and so seeing him choke somebody out right in front of him was really cool for me to see i liked it a lot yeah it's a good like continuity line yeah yeah it amazes me in retrospect. And maybe it's because we see Bail Organa, played by Jimmy Smiths, how much this film ties back to Obi-Wan. The, yeah. the, yeah. the, the uh, series, one of the best, other than The Mandalorian, which I've said on the show before, and I will die on the hill. Uh, not only will The Mandalorian go down as maybe the greatest television show in the history of television, outside of Cheers, um, <laughs> I think that this will go down as the best television it's show in history. Quite the comparison. <laughs> I know, I didn't see that happening. <laughs> but if you think about Cheers, Cheers is better than Friends. I think Cheers is better than Seinfeld. I think Cheers is better than How I Met Your Mother. I think Cheers is in a class all of its own. We're going to have a long conversation wow. <laughs> after this podcast. I think Cheers Cheers changed television. I think that without Cheers, you don't have those other sitcoms. So I think that 
in terms of the history of television, I think that the Mandalorian will be ranked ahead of all of them. I think Mandalorian is going to be the greatest show in the history of television. I've said that on this show before. Um, but I, I, I do believe that ultimately, and at the end of the day, um, I think that Obi-Wan is going to be, other than the Mandalorian, probably the best thing in terms of television that Disney does for Star Wars. Because I do believe Mando is going to be in a class in and of itself. So to have this much tie back, I loved Rogue One. And now I've spoiled my review. I loved Rogue One upon first viewing, but they've done such a, a tact... Uh, uh, they've been so tactical and they've done such a fantastic job of tying all of it in um, that, that this film now has so much rewatchability that until we until we saw Obi-Wan, I didn't know how much they could tie all of it in. Seeing Jimmy Smith's really sent it home for me. Yeah, that was something, um, you know, in 2016, when we saw it, that was pretty much lost on me that this was Bail Organa. But as soon as I saw him on rewatch, I was like, oh, that's so cool that they got the same actor back in Kenobi. I love that they did that. Um, but I also feel like Kenobi is another reason that we didn't necessarily need to see Darth in this film. But at the time, to be fair, I will give it that. They didn't know they were going to do a Kenobi. Maybe they didn't know they were going to do a Kenobi at that point where we were going to see the that bridge connect even more. On Scarif, Jin and or in K2 disguise themselves as Imperial troops and enter the base. The rest of the team attacks Imperial troops as a distraction while the three track down the schematics of the Death Star. Rebel forces arrive, shutting down the base and trapping them inside, so they need to find a way to send the plans to the Rebel fleet above. Um, again, a lot going on here. A lot happening fast. Um, I love the world building here, but if there is one weak point of this film this is the only point in the movie where i think that it kind of drags out an awful lot i disagree i love everything about it from here to the end of the movie this is where we transition from heist movie to war movie and i think they did it seamlessly um i love this whole idea of the shield gate and how that's going to come into play um I love the speech that Jin makes because now she is obviously fully invested in this mission. Um, she knows she has to carry it out. And I, I love, I, I feel like it really captures the essence of Star Wars when she says we're just going to take the first chance we get and then we're going to take the next chance and we're going to take the next chance until until the job is done. Um, again, the screenwriting. This is shocking to me. Um, but yeah, I, I just love everything about it yeah i think it's like full circle from when cassian makes that first speech to her where yes. he's like you know you have like you've made this choice but i couldn't make this choice i've been part of the re rebellion since he was what you know six years old whatever it is and you know then she's in here in the same kind of setting where they're in you know a, a speeder or a, a you know ship and she's now giving that speech of like we're all part of the rebellion. We need to make this happen. Yeah, and it's not just the speech, too. It, like, so Jin gives uh, K2SO the gun. It says, you've always wanted this. Like, it's like they finally all trust each other, and 
understand that they're doing something for the greater good that like that needs to be done and they're working together to do it. And prior to this, um, we again skipped another great Bodhi moment where he names Rogue One, which is, <laughs> you know, he kind of does it inadvertently, but uh, I just love it. And without without having to explicitly say it, like they're all in this now. They have a unit. They have a name. Uh, I just love how it comes about. Let me ask you a question. Kelly, you just put your hand over your heart. And you <laughs> I'm getting when, called out. <laughs> when, but I think this is a, for, for Star Wars fans, I think that's the reaction. That was the reaction. Mm-hmm. When the, he was like, identify yourselves. And he went, Rogue One. And he made it up on the fly. Yeah. Why did people not have the same reaction when they went Han solo in solo oh you know what i think that goes back to you know and and pat and i have talked about this with han is that han is such a good supporting character but he is really not he's not a lead character he just like doesn't that that's just not his character and i i might get hate for that but that's just i I don't know it's just not the same thing but i there are so many moments especially in this last like 30 minutes of this movie where i think you just, it was like tearjerkers. And, you know, you were like, oh, they're just like all bringing it together. This is what Star Wars is, is like when, you know, the good guys are going to come together and they're going to overcome. And Han, it's just, it's a whole different feel than this kind of Star Wars story. Yeah. And I think that in Solo, we knew who Han Solo was from the beginning. Whereas when we're watching Rogue One, I remember thinking, why are they calling this movie Rogue One? And then it's like, oh, okay, that's why. So that that got a different reaction for me because it like made that was the first point where the title of the movie actually made sense. All right, uh, I'm interesting. Um, I I was just interested in asking because I know that people, the vast majority, when they went Han Solo, like people just went ugh. But when he went rogue, one people were like, "Whoa!" Like it just makes so much sense. <laughs> but it's literally the same thing said twice. Well, no, it's not though because Han Solo is such an iconic character. Like, yes, to Kelly's point, he is a secondary character when you put him, you know, up against the the Skywalkers. But like, I feel like because we've had a whole history with him at that point. It just should have been a bigger moment. And it's like this. This was how you got your name. Like the stuff of legend. That's how you did it. It's almost like in in Pirates of the Caribbean where he's like, yeah, sea turtles. It's just kind of a letdown. It's like you've had all this built and built and built. You need like an amazing story to back it up. Han did not get an amazing story. Here, in the heat of the moment, but it's also different because this is such a defining moment for all of these characters. Because to this point, they've been quote-unquote, supporting the rebellion. They're not even saying the Rebel Alliance yet, really. And now they have defined themselves as a unit that's going to work together. And I dare say it even reminds me of the Guardians where they've got this little (laughs) ragtag found family. And I think that's what does it for me. So Rook taps into a communications tower and sends a signal to the Rebel forces Jin finds the quote-unquote Stardust file, that was a name that her father had used for her, and identifies it as the schematic for the Death Star. K2 is destroyed, unfortunately, and um, 
The stormtroopers, after they have destroyed him, they leave Jin and Andor alone in the base. Chirrut activates the master uh, control switch to the tower before he himself is killed. Rebel forces attack and disable the Imperial Star Destroyer. And Rogue One communicates that they have the plans for the Death Star. Baze is killed, fighting off Imperial troops, while Jin and Andor fight off their own inside the base. Krennic interrupts Jin as she sends the plans to the Rebellion. However, Andor arrives and shoots him. They transmit the plans to the Rebels. The Death Star arrives and destroys the base at Scarif killing Krennic and all of those associated with Rogue One. The Death Star plans are then given to Princess Leia while Darth Vader boards the Rebel ship. Um, oh my god. What an end. What an end to this movie. I, I, I don't even know what else you want me to say. I, I said it to you before. My father and I are sitting there and you know we're like grabbing each other's hands, grabbing each other's wrists as this film is fleshing out. But to see it as, you know, to see that this is literally the start of A New Hope, just oh, everything about this, everything about this, and, and, and the shock that, I mean, we all knew that the, that the, the cast, that the leads were all going to be killed off seeing it happen seeing it tie into episode four just ever everything about this is absolute perfection uh yeah the whole thing is absolutely phenomenal um you know i had said it before like i think star wars i think sci-fi but this is where it really feels like a war movie you've got fighting on the ground you've got fighting in the air Everybody has their own micro battles and micro missions that they have to accomplish, whether it's Imwe saying I'm one with the force and he's the one who's going to flip the switch on the transmitter. Um, you've got Jin and Cassian. I love how they have him play like a claw game with a prize to rip the file out. Um, I thought that that was really funny, but also really well done. Um, I love how her father made this this whole thing dedicated to her really with the stardust name and she's able to identify that right away and i love how that's carried all the way through um and i think that's you know that final boost that she needs because she knows this is not going to go well it's that last push that she needs to get everything done um and then i just think that it's so remarkable how they took all of these characters that we've just barely gotten acquainted with uh, make us care about them on the same level that we would a luke or a leia or a han and we're so invested and then they're just going to rip the rug right out from underneath us and we're going to lose all of these characters that we've grown to love over the course of this movie. But I also think that that's like really one of the successes is that you have grown to care about them as much as you would any of the other legacy characters. And um, I, I love how they tie it in to A New Hope and they took something that we all knew and you knew that there were spies and you knew that they helped our heroes, but now those, you know, nameless, faceless people who were part of an opening scroll are fully fleshed out for us. And I, I think that that's just the best thing about this film. Yeah. I mean, I think you 
like you put it perfectly. And I, one of the things that I love so much about this is when you're in that, um, you know, the, the, uh, fighting that's going on in, uh, in the galaxy, you're seeing, um, clips from a new hope is in there. So like the gold squadron, that's clips from the original movie, which I think is so seamlessly put together. And you just see that. I think, you know, for like a star Wars nerds, it's just so cool to see, you know, this like amalgamation of all of these different, stories um and i i mean i love when organa says um i think it's to mon mothma that you know she's like you need to give the plans to somebody and he says like i trust her with my life and it's leia and i like i don't know i'm like welling up like my eyes are welling up thinking about it right now but like you know that in the next movie he's gonna die on alderaan and like he gave his life to this rebellion and it's just these characters are so well formed and like again I just I love the casting in it I think that Organa is awesome and everything that he's in um but it's it's so well connects a new hope to this movie and just the way that they kind of seamlessly put that together yeah I mean what's more seamless than ending the movie with Darth Vader breaking into the ship like he does in New Hope and it was cool to see Darth Vader because this is again this is before uh before obi-wan so it's cool to see darth vader with like powers that are able to be portrayed accurately with technology so seeing him go in and just destroy everybody with like no problem at all he didn't really even use his lightsaber too much like which is kind of a a good nod to what they end up doing in a lot of uh, the original trilogy where lightsaber battles aren't too big of a thing so just having him come and you know pull all the guns away with the force was really cool i loved it i have a question do we think that it took anything away from rogue one seeing leia like do you think well i don't i don't want to ask the question because it's leading i'll let you guys go first uh my answer is absolutely not i i think that based on where they leave us based on the fact that we are literally ending this film where episode four picks up um my answer is no i i think that the cgi is actually quite good um i i think that princess leia for a lot of reasons is uh a character that so many of us have fallen in love with i think i think a lot of people fell in love with her more after carrie fisher passed away um I, I think that um, th- having her come in um, only sent this home. I don't think that it hurt the film, and I don't think that it hurt the story that they were trying to tell. If anything, I think that it it plussed it. I think that what they did and what they attempted to do was better because she made an appearance, albeit CGI, she made an appearance at the end of the film. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's hard to not connect her to Carrie Fisher's death. And that happened, what, 10 days after the movie came out. Um, So it's, you know, you watch it now and I think it's like such a great tribute to her and who she was in the Star Wars world and just how much she, you know, like, I don't think she ever looked at Star Wars and felt like it was, you know not good enough or something like that. And I think there's a lot of people that you can say that about with Star Wars, but um, 
I don't, it's hard to take that apart from me, like to disconnect those two, those two characters. So I don't know if I can give it a really fair answer. Yeah. I don't mind that they, they had her in it. I, I kind of disagree. I thought the CGI was pretty poor. She looked very puffy. I'm making a facial, I'm making an expression with my hands. So you can't see obviously, but she, she didn't look right. I wish that they had made the movie like a year or two later when they kind of nailed digitally, like taking age away from people out of old clips which they could have done um i i feel like if they were gonna put her in there they should have had her just facing the other way and just having her hand off the information and not show her face bingo that's that's exactly what i was alluding to was i would have done it in silhouette if it was up to me this looks like bad botox yeah but do you think that like i think that's also part of star wars is the ilm aspect of it where they're always like trying to learn something in terms of like the technology so for them was that there was that a challenge for this because it, that's the first time that they did that right with that that's with the first Leia time and Tarkin. it's the first time star wars did yeah yes, but yeah. there were other other companies that did it and it looked just as bad it wasn't until a few years later that they actually started getting it right um but yeah i i would have preferred the silhouette and not have her face in it i don't think that was needed I yeah I I kind of feel like with that invader I just wish they would have given this movie its own legs entirely and we just would have seen glimpses of what we know but not the full characters but that's a really great point Kelly that 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 is like such a hallmark of the company is they're always going to push the envelope because I think they even correct me if I'm wrong did they de-age Jimmy Smith's for this? I don't know. I, don't I just like so. to think he's, I don't think so he's ageless. <laughs> so I, I mean, know. I'll give him that. I don't know. To me, he looked older in Dexter than he did mm. here. I yeah. don't know. I don't think they de-aged him much at all. If at all. I don't want to know if they did, because I like to live in my <laughs> fantasy. It's fair. If fair. they did, they put way more money into that than they did to de-age <laughs> Leia. So. All right. Uh, uh, final thoughts on Rogue One. We will let our guests go first, Kelly and then Pat. I mean, I think I said it in the beginning, but I I love Rogue One. I think it is probably in my top five. It definitely is in my top five Star Wars movies. Um, I just, I connect with the characters so much. I think that it came out in a time for me when I needed a movie like this. Um, Just the idea of, you know, I'm one with the force, the force is with me. Like, I, I think that that is such a good message when you really think about it. And the Rebellions is built on hope. Um, I don't know. I love it. I think that it's so well done, connects the stories so well. And I, I, I think if, you know, and or moved so well from this too. So I'm happy yeah. that they're continuing the story like that. Yeah. I think this might actually be my favorite Star Wars movie. Um, I think it was one of the only movies done with so little for me to complain about that. I can continue watching it and not have like something that I'm angry about how bad they did something. Um, I really hope they don't do the, the typical Lucasfilm thing where they go back and change things. Uh, like they did, uh, when you said Han shot first, we don't know because they've changed it so many times. Han shot first. I don't care what anybody says. I got a shirt that says it. Han shot first. Yeah. Yes. Yes. The dog is looking at me like I'm crazy. Han shot first. Yes, sir. <laughs> no, it was it was just great to see how far like the technology came. Like even from watching Vader, like knowing that the original lightsaber was just them scratching on the film to what it looked like in this in this movie was, it just shows how far it came and 
yeah, it's my it's my favorite Star Wars movie. Uh, I wholeheartedly agree. This is my by far my favorite Star Wars movie. Um, I think it's I think it's perfection on its own, but I think that's also part of it for me, who was the casual Star Wars fan. Uh, I can appreciate it for what it is all by itself. I don't need to necessarily care about anything else to enjoy this movie and to get a lot out of it. But I, I did. And I, for me, this is what really made Star Wars click with me. It gave it a fully fleshed out history. To see the baton literally pass into a new hope, I was just like, oh, this is why we care. This is why we love these characters. Like, this is where the light bulb went on and I was finally like, okay, I get why everybody loves Star Wars so much. Um, and then I think also the time period that it came out, um, you know, I appreciated the film, but then we were also getting Galaxy's Edge at Disney and we were able to go visit that for the first time. So, like, yeah. it, it was just, like, everything all at once. And I was like, okay, I am on board here. I think that um, in terms of Star Wars films, it's my fourth favorite film, and that's not an indictment of this film because I think that this is a perfect movie. Uh, I think that this is the best Star Wars film that Disney has ever done. I think that if it was not for The Mandalorian, I would say that this is the best Star Wars project that Disney has ever done. Um in terms of my top five, I would personally rank it as A New Hope, Return of the Jedi, Empire, Rogue One, Force Awakens. Unpopular, but I actually do put The Force Awakens in my top five. Well, um, you love you love A New Hope, so why wouldn't you love The Force Awakens? It's the same movie. It, it is, <laughs> but I love it. <laughs> I have to drive you to pick up pizza later. You're stuck with me. I was going to say, we're just going to forward any hate emails received right along to Pat. Um, but, but, but I honestly believe that this is a perfect film. I thought it was a perfect, uh, perfect film from the moment I saw it. Um, I think it's an incredible uh, tie-in to the original trilogy that we all love so much. I also, I also think that, um, in, in all fairness, I think that when we do see something like The Force Awakens... Um, it's fan service in all of the right ways. I think when we saw the films that came after that, um, although I do enjoy The Rise of Skywalker, The Last Jedi is almost unwatchably bad. Yes. Um, but, I, but I think when, when you watch something like that, you go, well, how could you make a film like that when you made a film like Rogue One? I don't think that... I don't think Solo's a bad film. I actually think Solo's a very good movie. Um, I, th I think that it had a lot of hate because the internet said we had to hate it. And we talked about that, you know, when we reviewed that as well. You know, it's an imperfect film, but I, but I think that there were a lot of people that hated it because, right? Uh, but, but nobody feels that way about Rogue One. And I think that when, ultimately, when people get so frustrated about Star Wars and, and about what they've done with these characters and where the, where the, the Star Wars cinematic universe is going outside of this and the Mandalorian. I think this is why people have such a visceral reaction, right? Because this is so good. The Mandalorian is so good, right? But we are interested in knowing what you have to say about Rogue One. You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monorail Radio. You can email us monorailradio at gmail.com. We thank Kelly and Pat so much for joining us again. 
you guys joined us for the Ragnarok review. You are back for Rogue One, and hopefully you will join us again for something that is, I mean, perhaps it is uh, Marvel-related or Star Wars-related. Perhaps we'll have you back for something else. But thank you so much for having, you know, given your time to come back and, and sit with us and discuss this film. Um, I want to just throw out there, have we ever done a Lizzie McGuire movie? Because I'm also an official. Oh, no, but I guess you're coming back. <laughs> All right, come back stay anytime. tuned. I will come back anytime except for the Lizzie McGuire movie. So. If you want, you can come back. We'll put on the MLB network. We'll get, we'll get some beers. We'll get some pizza. And we'll talk about Lizzie McGuire. I only know, I only know Hillary Duff because she dated Mike Comrie, when I was oh working, oh my goodness, it's what? hockey. It's hockey. That's why he knows. I was working for the New York Islanders, so I like kind of knew Hillary Duff a little bit. Um, which... <laughs> you all I, can't see my face right now, but I, oh my god, yes, she's I she's shocked. Hillary. She she's she's a lovely person. I knew her a little bit when she dated Mike Comrie when he played for the New York Islanders. Oh my gosh! All right, so I'll be back. For the Liz McGuire movie discussion. Anytime. Um, <laughs> you guys can come back anytime. News of the week is coming up, but first a quick break. If you're thinking of taking a Disney trip this year, whether it's Walt Disney World in Florida, Disneyland in California, a Disney cruise, or Olani in Hawaii, get in touch with me for a free quote. I would love to help you plan a trip for you and your family. Or even if you've already booked, reach out. I want to help get you the best deal possible. You can contact me on any of the Monoreal Radio social media outlets or shoot me an email at j.zolezzi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I, at magicalvacationplanner.com. This is Kelly from Karma and Kismet, your sponsor of the news that Sean and Jackie provide each week. And if you are looking for some cool Disney stationery, I definitely recommend checking out Karma and Kismet. It's karmaandkismetdesigns.com, and there's tons of Disney-inspired stationery that you can check out there. Don't forget, listeners of the show get a 10% discount with the code MONOREAL10 at checkout to see all of Kelly's services, all of her products, and everything that she has to offer. It's at karmaandkismetdesigns.com. That's karma, the letter N kismetdesigns.com ask and ye shall receive we this, were just talking about this it this was like three weeks ago maybe two or three weeks ago and we were talking about projects that don't get done at Disney and you had said where's Wish they teased Wish where's Wish well your wish on Wish has been granted I gotta go bigger I gotta I gotta what do we, quick what do we want incorporated into the parks what do we want to see more of Zootopia at Animal Kingdom let's go I, I think a lot of people would like the Magical Express to come back as well if we can swing both of those things and an Avengers campus we would be just fine well hey I did it once so just throwing things out in the universe and hopefully they stick anyway um yes excited to finally see a trailer for this film I have to say my initial reaction was that I was a little disappointed to see that it wasn't a full-blown return to hand-drawn animation because I thought it was supposed to be. Um, or maybe that was something you and I had talked about as a celebration of Disney 100 returning to hand-drawn. Well, I said I don't understand why when we're celebrating the 100th we're not getting a hand-drawn film. Yeah, I can't really remember if that was us being in our heads or or... If there was ever a rumor that that's what it was going to be. But anyway, um, I watched it a couple more times. And what I did like is how many nods there were 
to previous films. Like this does feel like a very fitting compilation for the entire scope of the Walt Disney Studios because I feel like in every frame of this trailer, I was looking at it and going, oh, that looks like the Sultan's Palace in Aladdin. Oh, that looks like uh, Elsa's Ice Palace in Frozen. That looks like um, Grandmother Willow in Pocahontas. There were so many different things that I was able to pick out and it didn't feel stale. Like it didn't feel like watching Robin Hood going, oh, you straight up traced over your existing work. I think that this just feels like a Disney animated film. Um, in, in terms of the aesthetic, I can't tell if it's the way that they uploaded the trailer. I don't know if there's a layer missing, but there's something about this that looks like there is somehow a cross between CGI and hand-drawn. Like, they kind of have the Into the Spider-Verse thing going. At least, like, based on what I saw, that's what the trailer looks like. And I don't know if they're doing that stylistically for a, for a really unique look at the film or if there's just something that's not rendered properly in this trailer that we got. I hope that it is a combination between hand-drawn and CGI. I think that Spider Into the Spider-Verse is a really cool-looking film, and if that's what they've done here and it, it looks like that's what they did, I'm totally on board with it. I think it's intentional. I think we are getting the best of both worlds here where they are incorporating all different styles. So where it's not a full return to hand-drawn, we are... Oh, because that was another thing that I spotted too... Um, there, there were flowers, and it looked very much like Mary Blair style. So I think they're doing uh, like computer animation, and the backgrounds are going to be hand painted in some of it. And I think that's what's giving it, it that unique look. I like it. I think it looks great. Um, I, I like the fact that we've got this. What is Doctor Magnifico? I think is what his name is. Or... Yes, Chris Pine. Right. Um, I love that it's based on a wish. It harkens back to original Disney stories. Like there's I feel like this is going to be a very fitting tribute to Disney 100. I think that this is going to be a movie that is going to be a return to some of that great Disney animation. I think this is going to be an absolute smash hit. Like I don't want to put the cart before the horse too much. But I haven't been this excited for a Disney animated film in a long time. I think just by virtue of it's an original idea. Well, I'm yeah. so excited for that. Yeah. Um, and I also want to talk about the cast a little bit more because you mentioned Chris Pine. Uh, we've got Ariana DeBose in the lead role. Um, I'm not the biggest fan, but she sounds amazing. I'm really excited to hear the full version of this song. And I am super excited for Alan Tudyk, who is yes he's going to be her sidekick but it's not a background role it's not like hey hey like he is gonna be in a full-blown major role he's got like a flounder type of role yeah so he's finally getting his due i'm excited for november once that film comes out moving on we have a very cool giveaway for this episode as we celebrate may the 4th right and, and we're discussing rogue one we have Two wonderful straw charms from the Hidden Mickey Supply Co. We have a Rebellion logo, and we have an Empire logo. Those would be really cool if you have a trip planned on the Galactic Star Cruiser. I know we've not said the most positive things about the Star Cruiser, but it would be cool uh, 
you know, to declare your allegiance going in with one of those on your Joffreys as you roll up to the Star Cruiser. Yeah, so we're going to give away both of these straw charms. That's right, not one but two. And a monoreal radio t-shirt. Very easy way to enter to win this contest. Just make sure that you are following both Hidden Mickey Supply Co. and Monoreal Radio on Instagram. We'll do this as, I think this is the way to do it. We do this as an Instagram uh, contest for sure. Yes, that way we could post a picture and, and they can see what the straw charms look like. Yes, make sure that you are following both accounts on Instagram and tag a friend. That's all that you have to do. Like the picture, tag a friend. That's right. When you see the post. Yes, like a picture, tag a friend, like both accounts. And we will announce the winner on next week's episode. That'll be the episode that drops on May 9th. So you will have until 11.55 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on May the 8th to get your entries in. Thank you all so much for joining us this and every week on Monoreal Radio. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and rate us on your podcast platform of choice. Be sure to be following all of that social media for when we do contests like this. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Monoreal Radio. We love hearing from you. You can email us, monorealradio at gmail.com. And for links to everything related to the show, it is always going to be online at monorealradio.com. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.